welcome to the West of North London podcast, where our doors are always open for ours and Vanger. <laughs> I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Uh, we're doing a rare afternoon recording. I, I, I'm trying to remember the last time we did this in the last three years. It's been a long, if we've done it at all. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done it. I'm, <laughs> this is still kind of early in the morning for me. I, I, I got to bed at, at four o'clock in the morning, so I'm... <laughs> Still, uh, still waking up, but this is beyond like a... Tim's Tim's night owl schedule. I know. <laughs> so if I I'm a little uh, slow to the uptake, that's why. And I've got people with leaf blowers outside, so you'll get extra noise and a sleepy Tim. Yeah, no, no, the the noise adds character to the uh, podcast realism. Yes, that's right. Um, I I don't have a drink right now because I've got things I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a beer or anything this week. I uh, never miss an opportunity to have a beer, so I do have a drink, <laughs> and it's uh, the uh, the new beer from Menace Brewing, our friendly neighborhood brewery up in uh, Bellingham, Washington, and it's called the uh, Bacarena of Time. It's our uh, <laughs> our uh, Bach. It's a very tasty, technically lager, but uh, is very has much more malty, much more flavor than your your typical lager. Super tasty, love it. Nice. Sounds good. I and wish I had a drink. <laughs> and the name itself is pretty amazing. It's uh, the, you know, named after Zelda, so Bacarena of Time. I like it. Yeah, we're going to do a cask called the uh, uh, Majora's Cask of it. There's going to be a whole Zelda series. Cool. All right. Um... Let's see. What's your uh, Timbit this week? Well, you know, seeing as January is coming up and uh, lots of people do uh, what is the, the sober January thing. Are you are you planning on doing the sober January thing? No, no, sir. No, I, I, <laughs> it's it's not my cup of tea, but it seems to be a popular thing for people to do. And so I was just wondering, you know, what would Arsenal sober up? What should Arsenal sober up from in January? What what, what you know? What should they? Uh, not do during the whole month of January. Ooh, uh, no injuries, please. <laughs> yeah. If, that's... if we could just uh, get through the transfer. Well, you know what? If you're going to get injured, maybe it is to, to like just get it in January so we can get reinforcements. Otherwise, we're kind of screwed, right? Yeah. And maybe, uh, maybe it is. So you're saying get injured. <laughs> get injured now, like right now, before <laughs> you even get to January. Um, yeah, what, what else, what else could they avoid? Don't, no lost January. Can we do that? Oh, I like that. No lost January. That would be, that'd be awesome. Especially with some of the matches coming up. I would, uh, I would appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, hard, hard to think of anything better than not losing, right? I mean, yeah. I'd, we've, we've had a very good run and I think going, uh, un- Undefeated in January is not not impossible. No, it's going to be challenging, but not impossible. No, yeah, I think the only thing I would say is, uh, you know, a no bad transfer window January. You know, <laughs> not get not get addicted to that uh, that uh, bad transfer that you think is going to be a good idea at the time that ends up costing the club tons of money. Yeah, don't make stupid choices. But you know, I I trust this. I trust the. Uh, the transfer gurus at, at Arsenal more than most to not 
not make stupid choices. I mean, it, it, that's been more of a recent development. Yeah. I'd say the last few windows, they've definitely made some better choices. Um, but you got to think like they are prone to taking risks. Uh, you know, not signing anybody last January was certainly a risk. <laughs> yeah. um, One could they, argue that cost us Champions League, but yes, and and I could. It is not out of the realm of possibility that they could look at the market and you know get priced out of some things and not and and not want to make those bad choices as far as um, overpaying or creating a salary structure that doesn't make sense with their their team right now so there is that possibility again (laughs) the right the right deal isn't there they're not going to do it that is true i mean i think you'd see a a collective gnashing of teeth from the arsenal sphere if there was a another no signing january uh okay so i think that's the better one don't don't not make any signings (laughs) (laughs) but don't make bad signings it's yeah. very, it's a very thin margin. You got to figure out how to <laughs> not make no signings, but also make good signings. Yeah, I mean, I think you figured it out. You should be a, a GM for Arsenal here. Uh huh. I can't. I, I don't know the secret. What I'm doing. I, I have no secret sauce here. I also have no money. <laughs> no. I'm happy to spend other people's money though. Okay. Um, I was just looking at the January games. Yeah. No, no losses. It would would require us to beat Tottenham or not lose to Tottenham and not lose to United by the end of the month. So challenges, challenges, but challenges. New, Newcastle's in there as well. Yeah. They are not, not anybody to be overlooked. Yep. We've got, I think we have that on the, uh, the uh, agenda to talk about the Newcastle game. Cause they'll be playing that before our next podcast. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should get into it then. Cause we've got lots to talk about. I, I want to start off with talking about narratives because I feel like this one was this game was ripe, <laughs> ripe with narratives. Um, going into this game, everybody was talking about how this is this game against uh, West Ham marked the three-year anniversary of Arteta taking over, and um, so I wanted to t- have a quick little report card or, or re- review of where we're at three years later. Uh, before we did anything else, and um, the 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 arc of of Arteta has really been one we've followed closely since it's kind of <laughs> been running parallel to this podcast. Uh, so, in the in the three years we've been doing this, uh, we've seen the ups, we've seen the downs, but I think I I would I would say he gets favorable reviews across the board at when when. All the all the things have settled out. I think he's in the plus category. Oh, definitely. I, th- I think you have to look at: Are we a better team and in a better position than we were three years ago? And I th- I think it's a no brainer. Yes, we, you know, top of the league <laughs> coming into January is better than we've been in for years and years. So I'm I'm and and not just our league position but also just the position and the health of the squad of the team of the fan base i mean you're you're talking about three years ago i mean it, when you say three years it doesn't seem that long ago but it was you know when Jaka was on his way out you know had very recently flipped off the fans there was a lot of booing a lot of negativity surrounding the entire team uh there wasn't it didn't you didn't have a lot of hope 
I remember those times. It was very uh, depressing to be an Arsenal fan. You didn't feel like there was a uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, we're in a position now where there does feel like a lot of hope, even if, you know, Arsenal doesn't win the, the, the league this year, we feel like in a strong position. You have a, a great squad that is still young and still able to develop. I, 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 I can't think of a single position which we were better off than we were three years ago or worse off than we were three years ago. Yeah. When, when you, when you, I, I don't remember the old, the old story talking about, you know, you can't build your house on sand. Mm. And I felt like uh, up until this season, it was like we were trying to build on unstable ground. And there definitely feels like a platform of stability for this team where the, there's certainly room to grow and build and and move in that direct in, in a positive direction without the pitfalls that seem to come with um, kind of not having your house in order. I, I think like some of the things that uh, have plagued Arsenal over the years is really not having a vision, not having um, the backing, um, and now you've got a, you've got people in the right positions on, uh, on the top levels. You've got people. Um, you've got like a strong captain, you've got a strong core of players that you can build around and build, uh, some, some depth from, you know, you have players that you can see where, where the gaps are and, and a a group that you can rely on to get you a result. It's nice to just go into games and feel like we're, have the possibility to win anything. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't, there isn't games where it's like, Oh, this is going to be one of those, you know, it's, I think when you're talking about narrative, people have been waiting for those cracks to show this season. And I think there's been a lot of people that aren't Arsenal fans who are looking from the outside and saying, well, we've seen this before and Mm -hmm. at some point they fall apart. And that's not to say that that can't happen. The Arsenal fan inside of me always (laughs) leaves that, that out because I know that there's always that that chance that things could fall apart uh, because we have seen it a lot. But I think anybody on the inside, us included, has felt a change, felt the difference this season. And uh, really, I think Arteta has been the key player that has linked the ownership and the front office and the players and has gotten everybody under one vision and that that's really been the missing piece and now that everybody's pulling in the same direction you have to give Arteta a, a ton of the credit for that yeah I mean you, you you talk about going in the same direction and moving in the same direction I watched the uh, Chelsea game yesterday and Chelsea won you know I uh, but uh they had a uh, put on a bombing for a late cameo on there, and I, I had mm. completely forgotten that Bobby Yang was on the team, and yeah. just seeing him run around for those last uh, few minutes of the game, I'm like, "Oh, we are better off without him." That was the correct decision. It was a hard decision, it was a decision that I think Arteta made, and it was it was the correct one because you, you know it's it's nothing against Bobby Yang; he's he's still a fine player. But you just watching him play, you realize that he wasn't he wasn't the right fit and having Arteta make those calls is is something that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Yeah. There's, there's a a time and place for every player where they're going to shine. And 
when you look at the um the window when our uh Aubameyang was at his best is when the team really needed to have a player that we could put a lot of weight on on and lean on and he stepped up and then when things started to shift and we were trying to try some new tactics and shift some things around it was clear that he didn't fit what we were trying to do going forward because you can't rely on a single player um it's it's just such a different looking team from the Aubameyang side that won the FA FA Cup uh, and that wasn't that long ago. I mean, a couple a couple years ago. But you know, a lot has changed in the last two seasons. And and to try to continue to shoehorn him into this team when he just wasn't, he, you know, he couldn't be the focal point. He couldn't be the um, player that didn't play defense and and was just not able to do what Arteta wanted from the team in the long run. It just made a lot of sense it, in, in retrospect that it wasn't wasn't the right fit at the right time. So, yeah, I think when you look at making those tough decisions and having a vision for what the team needed to be, again, credit to Arteta just for making making that tough call. Because as as a manager of people, um, you you sometimes just have to look at the mix and say this this person is trying and is, is going to do the, do their best for me. But as far as what they bring to the chemistry of the team, they're not the right fit. Um, but I think that, uh, it, it's interesting to celebrate the three, three year anniversary of Arteta, Arteta's appointment. And then also at the same time, welcome back Arsene Wenger to the Emirates for the first time since 2018 since he left um it is interesting to think about where what different things Arsene Wenger did to rebuild this team when he first took over you know he, he brought a lot of new ideas he was looking at new groups of players new new um just new new ideas in general that he brought to the Premier League and um I think he he came in at a time where there was certainly scrutiny, but not to the level that there is now with the internet and and all the um, punditry and and home punditry that, that has cropped up over the years. And um, where he started versus where he ended, just the world had changed so much. Um, it's it's a challenge to just be around for that long and, and to see so many things change and, and grow and develop. And uh, I think it was a, it was a tough, tough way to see him leave the game and it's tough. It'd been tough to have him not be part of Arsenal in some way. And so it was, it, it was overdue for him to make his return. Um, what, what did you make of his, his, uh, well, I don't know. You call it a cameo, but you know his, his appearance at the stadium well, for this one. You you say that it's overdue. It is a hundred percent overdue. But in some ways, I think it was good that we as fans got space and breathing room from our our most successful manager we've ever had. Well, you I mean you can argue Chapman in the nineteen thirties, but we won't <laughs> go down that. <laughs> that's that, a, that's a but, bit of a, a stretch backwards. Yeah, uh, in in modern times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, what you see is the opposite over at Man United, where you have Sir Alex Ferguson always in the in the stands, always kind of sh- casting a shadow over that team. And I think it 
makes it harder for Manu to move on from him. I, I think one of the, the the hard things that Manu's struggled with is that they I still don't think they've really moved on from Alex Ferguson and that weight of expectation over over their entire team. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it shows on the players who go there and just die and then leave and re- resurrect their careers. So in some ways, it's been nice to to have a little bit of distance in space and that when he comes back, it isn't a a ne- negative feeling that he's coming back and going like, oh, I, I remember those times under Wenger and life was better. It's kind of like, oh, I remember those times under Wenger. That was a great time. And now we're in a new optimistic period. So I, I, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's a perfect timing for him to kind of come back and show his face. And really, do he does deserve to get all the uh, the cheers and the plaudits. And it's nice that we're able to be in position of 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 thanking him for everything he's done to the club. Yeah, I saw something that said they're planning on uh, creating a, a statue of him outside of the the stadium, and I think that's it's it's overdue. I think he he deserves mm-hmm. all the all the um, love and and adulation that he maybe didn't get on his way out the door. It's tough. It's tough anytime you are leaving a team, and it's it, it is maybe not at its peak. You know, it's hard to leave when when things are good. I think any, yeah. any manager is going to have a hard time going out on top. Um, it, it, you always want a little bit more. Uh, I think he was, it, 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 he's to be commended for stepping aside and, and not getting in the way of, of, of the progress of the team. And it was obviously a challenge at the, at the top level to recover from losing a, a personality and, and a force like that in this, in this club. And, not really having a good contingency plan in place. I think there was a lot of different ideas, a lot of different people vying for power in the, in the uh, team. And um, it was the, the back of house stuff that really got shaken up. And, and as people tried to fill that power vacuum. And so when the dust settled, it was, it was kind of the, the, the best people ended up on top. I, I, I do think that, They've they've assembled a much better group than they had when Wenger left. So it, it's it's been a, a sea change, but it's been important to to cut away the people that were not good for the team and to keep the people that were good. And I think it is time to circle back and appreciate Wenger for what he did for many many years and and not not to shy away from that appreciation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wouldn't want to go into too much depth about what he's been doing recently in FIFA and, and all that mm, uh, thing. Yeah. But uh, as far as just his legacy, I, I, he deserves a statue. As a, yeah, he's undoubtedly the uh, the best manager in recent memory, and you know, in the top three managers of Arsenal's history, full stop. And he, and it, it's also funny because I think a lot of other teams don't realize what he did to revolutionize the Premier League itself. He he really brought in a professionalism. Uh, you know, he, he he was one of the first managers to, to focus on diet, for example, something we we take for granted nowadays in the, the the modern game. But you know, he was telling players not to eat candy bars, not to go out drinking every night after a game. You know, simple things like that. Also, his focus on the uh, the economic side, not just signing players based on the eye test and you know uh, traditional ways, but actually looking at the economic trying to to find holes in the market and and you know 
making signings before they're great. You know, you you forget that Henri was a reclamation project of a winger, and he turns him into one of the best strikers in the league. You have countless examples of of, of these players that he saw the potential in, and I think the the way the Premier League structure is structured now, and the way teams sign players and uh, focus on training, fitness, and all these other aspects is it was revolutionized because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was go. You know, those two things were between Arteta's celebration and Arsene Wenger's return to the Emirates, and I think there was a lot of eyes on this game as far as coming back from the World Cup. Everybody, you know, going back to the punditry and all all of the the people that have been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop for Arsenal, uh, looking at our place at the top of table at the top of the table and thinking. Well, there's no way they can keep this going. This this momentum is sure to fall away once they get back from the World Cup because it. it I think everybody has been waiting for some reason or some uh, sign of of things falling apart, and I, I I think after the game, just listening to different people talk about Arsenal, I think them not coming out strong in the first half and then finding a way to win this game really was a great example of the resiliency and just where this team is at and what they really are all about. And I think it's changed a lot of people's minds. And I hope, I hope that people are going to um, hopefully push that, that narrative aside that, that they're going to just fail at any moment. Um, because I don't think there's any real use for that, or is there any sign of that happening? Because you look at the people who thought Jesus was the be-all, end-all, and, and, and really the linchpin of this team, and, and while he has elevated this team and brought a lot of different things to the first half of the season, I think that the the players proved that this team is about more than just one individual, and that that narrative... I hope can be set aside in the new narrative is that Arsenal is, is for real. Yeah. I think, uh, again, I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sure that this is a title winning team yet, but I think it, you can't look at this team and not say that they're a title contending team or at least a, a, a top four contending team. They're, they they're deserve it in the, the upper echelons of the league. And, you know, West Ham isn't the uh, the toughest of opponents. They're not going through a great time right now. But I I think you showed uh, a complete domination over the team. You you mentioned struggling in the first half. The only thing that was struggling was really they let in a or they gave away a stupid penalty. I thought Arsenal dominated from start to finish that game. There was even even when we were down a goal, we were we were on the ball, had possession, and it was just really a, a penalty against a run of play that put us behind. Yeah, I think there was some, uh, maybe 70-something percent possession in the first half. Um, yeah, str- struggling by the standard of they couldn't score. Mm-hmm. And that was that was pretty much it. Because the, the the opportunities were there. The opportunity was there from like the first few minutes. Saka had a, had a goal that was called back. Um, it was uh, just a minor, minor infraction, offside infraction. Um, but it, it was... It was certainly more tilting towards towards Arsenal. Just the the 
the goal against the run of play was really um I think people were 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 assuming that that meant Arsenal was going to crumble and we've like I said we've we've certainly seen that sort of um that 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 sort of thing happen over other seasons where they do have adversity and and have some things happen especially after we had um big losses it would, it would be hard to bounce back or we had games european games and and struggled to meet that level in the premier league and so there's just been moments where we've seen arsenal kind of be inconsistent or not live up to the the quality that they have on paper this just wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't anything like that i just i i felt a lot of negativity at the halftime from people who were talking about the game and commenting on the game it felt like they were looking for for arsenal to to fail and i just didn't i didn't feel that down about the team i was like well it's just a matter of time until they get a goal and then what we have seen throughout this season is that once that dam breaks it forces teams to open up it forces teams to have to play play deeper and play more defense and uh it plays right into Arsenal's hands. Yeah, I mean you saw it after West Ham. I mean, do we want to go into the uh, penalty at all before we uh We could talk about it. I there wasn't um much in it for me. It was pretty pretty I don't know. What what was your what was your impression of it? I mean, it it is a penalty. When you when you look at it when it, when I saw it in real time, I was a little annoyed. But then when you watch it in slow mo and you actually look at it, it 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 is one of those ones that's that's given. You can't argue too much about it. It's just annoying because we'll see it three times against Arsenal, not given. But it is it is it is a penalty. I think uh, Saliba probably should done have done a little bit better, and that's something that worries me a little bit about Saliba is that he does have a propensity to give up a penalty every once in a while. We've seen it a couple times this year. Um, but it, again, it wasn't that much in it. And it was just one of those, one of those things. I know I was listening to another podcast and they mentioned it's a foul that if it happens outside the box, never gets called. Mm-hmm. But it get if it happens in the box, for some reason, it's suddenly a, a, a penalty and, you know, worth a, giving a, a great opportunity to. So there is that, but I, I, I don't think there's much to complain about. And, you know, hopefully Saliba got that out of his system and it'll be good and strong for the next couple games. Yeah, I think if you're, um, if you're flipping that around and you're looking at, would you want that called for Arsenal? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If somebody clips your heel and you're going into the box whether you go down hard or you know continue to try to shoot i think that should be called um is it uh, is it, i don't know if it should be considered even soft if it if a player doesn't go down good on that player mm-hmm. uh, but i i i do find that annoying that you have to sell it or you know you have to be really taken off of your feet for it to be considered a foul uh there's a lot of things that are uh not called that probably should be called but you don't want to. The directive from um, the referees' association is to try to let the game flow a little bit and give advantage and that sort of thing. In in that situation, you can't play. You can't really play advantage. You know, if a player um, is is tripped up while trying to take a shot on goal, you have to make that call. Um, so I, I would I would certainly want that to get called in in our favor if it was the other way around. Yeah, and 
So, you know, as we mentioned, it was against the uh, the run of play. But then once once that once uh, West Ham scored that penalty, you look at how they set up. I thought it was crazy because they just set up into ultra defensive mode. You looked at their their mm-hmm. their their setup. It was just four or two banks of four just defending way far deep. And you just knew the way Arsenal was playing that they were going to get their opportunities, whether they buried them or not was going to be a question. But Arsenal was definitely going to get their shots on goal with the way that West Ham set up after that goal. Yeah, and you know, and Antonio is certainly somebody who can punish you on uh, the counter, and and is a great hold up player. Um, so you can you can see what they were attempting to do, but the reality is that is a setup you can pull off against maybe half the league. But when you're talking about the upper tier, when you're talking about the league leaders, you cannot you cannot hope to just survive a whole half by just being in a defensive shell. They will pick you apart, and they did. I mean, like I, I don't know. It is, it is kind of disappointing to see this team. Who and, and I get they they are missing some pieces as far as uh, people out for injuries and that sort of thing. But I just felt like that was it was a very negative setup and and didn't really acknowledge what Arsenal is capable of. And and that's that's I, I'm sure from. A West Ham fans view that that has to be very frustrating when you are that far down the table and you need to go out and get points any way possible to get a goal and then shut up shop against a team like that it just seems foolish like I don't know what Moyes was thinking there I mean I if every other team in the league does that against Arsenal I'll take it <laughs> any day of sure. the week I I because I at this point I do have a belief, and I think it was shown this game, that if you give opportunities to Arsenal, they will eventually take them. It's not like uh, we were not dangerous with our possession. We were we were knocking on that door even when we were a goal down. Yeah, I think that it, it was, especially knowing that, you know, you're, it wasn't even like they... We're tr- still trying for a goal. It was mm-hmm. like, as soon as, and it wasn't that long into the second half that we scored. Um, I think it was. Let's see what was the timeline here. Uh, where was that goal? I want to say fifty. So fifty-three, fifty-third minute. Uh, so not long into the second half. Um, so it wasn't like they came out firing and and took advantage of of Arsenal being on their heels. I don't think Arsenal was ever on their heels, really. Um, A lot of the post-match interviews talked about how it was uh, really not a lot that they felt like they had to change going into the half. They were doing everything right. It just hadn't gotten that goal yet. So um, I, I, I think... West Ham was was maybe a little bit naive, and that's the, <laughs> that's good for us because if everybody comes in, like you said, everybody comes and plays us like that, we'll take it because it was it was kind of uh, easygoing overall. Uh, the Bakayo Saka goal. Let's let's talk about that. Mm. That happened, um, like I said, in the fifty third minute. I believe it was uh, Odegaard who who mm-hmm. shot and. Um, it was a. It was a. I, I. I can't remember if it was a deflection or it just happened to go straight to 
Saka. Do you do you recall? I don't. I don't remember. I should have watched the goals before. Uh... <laughs> um, I, I every time we we have this podcast, I'm like, I'm going to remember everything, and I yeah. remember nothing when it comes time <laughs> to talk about. It. Um, but yeah, the it it was a shot that ended up at the feet of Saka, who luckily was onside uh, and in the box at that moment. And and just casually put puts it away. I mean, that was an easy easy goal when you're in in the box with nobody in front of you. I think you're 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 betting on Saka at, at that point. He made it look pretty pretty simple, and it was exactly what the team needed to kind of dig themselves out of the little hole they'd created. And it was it was all downhill from there. Oh, I'm watching the highlight now, and it was, it wasn't a deflection. It was a beautiful. Oh no, shoot! Sorry, I was looking at the odds side goal. Never mind. I lied. <laughs> yes, I have Odegaard come in, and it just passes directly to uh, to Sokka's feet. There, I don't think there was any deflection. It just kind of ended up in a uh, Sokka's feet. But it wasn't. It wasn't. A sh- it wasn't a pass. I don't think. I mean, the way he, that for the he put some heat on it. If that was a pass, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I do. I think. Yeah, you're looking at it. I think it was a shot, and just Sokka ha- kind of happened to be right at the right spot at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, so it was right place, right time for Saka, and continues his run of form. I mean, I, I I think he had an excellent World Cup, and his profile has certainly been raised. And I can't wait until Arsenal's able to re-sign him to a, a contract extension because he's only going to get better. I just every time I see him play, I'm just like, oh yeah, you are you are far and away better than you were last year. You're you're better than you were last game, and it continues to grow for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think you're you're definitely seeing the uh, the highlights of the uh, or the uh, the the promise of a uh, of Saka coming through right now. You're seeing that uh, all this talk of him, you know, being a, a, a starlet, uh, someone with potential. I think you're seeing potential realized, and it's he's you know playing into one of the best players in the world. So. It's it's great to see. You love to see it, and you know it's his awareness on the ball and the ability to just pop up in spaces where he scores is just is is phenomenal. And just the calmness to be in the box to receive the ball there, and and really not make a mess of it. Because I think even a season a season ago, maybe a little bit further back we'd seen Saka kind of like feel the pressure of needing to score. And there was a lot of pressure on him to, to be a goal scorer. And I think he's kind of gotten over that hump now where he can feel comfortable no matter what. Um, if the ball's at your feet in the box, you put it away. That's yeah. it's kind of not, it's not rocket science, but just being calm under pressure in that situation is really important. One of the things that I really like about this team, and you highlight the difference from three years ago is that there isn't pressure on just one player to score, that the goals seem to be coming mm-hmm. from all over the pitch. And there isn't, we're not just reliant on one player where, as before, if, you know, uh, with Aubameyang or uh, or Lacazette wasn't scoring, we were boned, you know, like we, we had long discussions mm-hmm. previously about, you know, where the goal is going to come from if Aubameyang isn't scoring or Lacazette isn't scoring. And now it feels like, you know, you lose Jesus. And it's not to say that Jesus isn't a big loss, but you lose Jesus and you don't think, well, their goals are goals. You you know that Saka, Martinelli, some of these other players are going to pop up, and Kedia, which I'm sure we'll get to <laughs> later. Yeah, 
we'll, uh, we'll, we'll score goals. And that's, that's, that's a nice feeling. And it makes it hard to, to plan against as an uh, opposing Arsenal. You, 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 you look at that team and you can't say, well, we shut down this one player and they're, they're boned. Right. And, and you even look back at Jesus wasn't, wasn't scoring a lot when previous to the world cup, it was kind of a team effort. I believe now we have Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, um, trying to think if anybody else is in that group, but all sitting at six goals apiece or, or around that mark. Um, and so it is, it is a, a, a three-headed beast or a multi-headed beast, and and it is difficult to mark all of those players out of the out of the game, um, knowing that somebody else is is likely to step up. Um, if you if you talk about the this game, I think there was a lot of pressure on uh, on Eddie and Kedia to to step up and try to replace Jesus and like. He's not going to be Jesus. He's not the same player. That's okay. But, you know, he just has to be part of that machine that really continues to allow the people around him to do what they need to do. I, I don't necessarily... What what we're trying to get from that position, it, it, like, it, we didn't need the goals from Jesus to make this team work. We don't necessarily need the goals from Nketiah to make it work. What we do need is a functional striker who can hold the ball up, who can facilitate the people around him, who can move defenders around. If he could just do that, that'd be great. What he showed in this game, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know what he, what Nketiah showed in this game is that he can be that and score goals. And and I think people have downplayed that he he is capable of a bit more um, in, in in some different categories than Jesus. Yeah, and I. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I I, I don't hold Nketi into in the highest esteem. But he had a, such a great game this game. It was a, it was a game to make anyone a believer. And I know we're we're jumping out because we're not talking about that Martinelli goal, which I definitely want to talk about. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, <laughs> but Nketi, the goal that Nketi scored was beautiful. That turn that he did on that defender was just like I, I as I said, like I'm I'm not the biggest Enkedia fan and I just it, it brought a tear to my eye that, that turn. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. And and it is it we've seen we've seen how Jesus can put players off, how he can be in the box and how he can receive the ball and 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 make things happen. And uh this is that was was an indication that Eddie's incapable is capable of some level of that himself. Uh, he does it differently, but he's the results are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and to get, I think he he'd had eleven Premier League starts at, at the Emirates and has scored in all of them. So in in big big moments at home, at least he is showing up and being uh, effective. So that is that. If, if we could just get him to score every home game, I'll take it. Yeah, and uh, really. Uh... Even the goal that was chalked off the the uh, the offsides goal that uh, Saka scored, Nketi was heavily mm-hmm. involved in that and had a beautiful touch to uh, to put uh, to put Saka on goal. And you know, it didn't count, but it, it it does show the talent and the you know the the possibilities that Nketi has. Nketi also missed a sitter early on in the first half mm-hmm. as well, which you know I'm just going to mention to be petty, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know. I, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's something I should 
be uh, more cognizant about is that we don't need a Jesus replacement one for one, like for like. We just need someone to fill some of that role and let the team take on the burden as well. And I think this game really showed that if you put a, a pretty capable person in there and allow them to work with the team, good things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, it is a, this is a team that actually plays like a team. Like everybody is, is working for each other and working hard. And I, I think nobody's trying to avoid Nkedia out there. He is, he's, he's, he, when, when he plays, he plays hard. There, there isn't a moment where I'm like, oh, he's not putting in his most or his best. He, he has had those moments, I think, when he's come in late into games and he hasn't quite gotten up to speed with where everybody else is at. Um, and that, that that's a challenge that he's, he's recognized in himself that he is um, not at his best when he's just coming and making in late late game cameos. And I, I think that would be difficult for a lot of players. When you when you find that person that can come off the bench and really be effective, that, that, super, that true super sub... Um, those, that's a rare find, and you. you I mean, I, I think Emil Smith Rowe is one of those that can come off the bench and be and, and just find the pace of the game and, and really be effective. But not everybody has that. But what we've seen when when Inkedia gets a run of games, when he is uh, getting into a flow and rhythm with the players around him, he just looks so much better. And I, this was nice to kind of see him come in off this break, knowing he was going to be the starter knowing he was going to get this uh, this opportunity and I think he he lived up to the um the expectations that we we should have of somebody playing that role for Arsenal. Yeah, and you know, one game doesn't make a player one way or the other and I'm I'm hopeful to see it going forward and if he kind of continues around this vein of form, I I think it takes a lot of pressure off of that transfer window we were j- joking about in the in the beginning of the of the uh, podcast that if Enkedia can be competent then we can focus our efforts on signings elsewhere and it's it's not a bad thing and i i as much trash as i've talked about him i am rooting for the boy he is an arsenal player Mm. through and through and i hope that this is a sign of what he he's capable of and he he uh he can produce this way going forward yeah absolutely but like you're saying if if saka can step up if martinelli can step up uh odegaard can step up it takes a lot of pressure off of Nkedia. He can be the icing on the cake. He can put games away. He can continue to just work hard and, and keep things out of the other team's reach. That's that's perfect. Um, Mar- Martinelli certainly uh, picked up the pace and, and looks like he's ready to, uh, you know, pick. I, I think he was in good form previous to the World Cup. I think he's going to be in better form coming out of the World Cup because it, it, when you go to a camp like Brazil, I feel like that some of that would those winning ways and and the way that you pick up some of that confidence uh, to bring back to to the Premier League. I think he's he's definitely someone who's going to benefit from that. Yeah, I mean Martinelli during the World Cup, I think he kind of had the best uh, kind of experience you could hope for, which is that he was in the camp and then he did get one start. And I think of the uh, that kind of backup team they played in the third round group, Martinelli was the one that actually made a case for getting a start off of that. He he looked really good in that game. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, definitely the best of those players, and you know, not being completely uh, involved in the games meant that he wasn't really stained with that that loss, the final loss that Brazil had, that very emotional. He could be 
a little bit more aloof of it. So he, he got all the benefits from the World Cup, all the uh, the things got a, a run out and a little bit of game time, but also got a got to be fresh for coming back. You know, not every every mm-hmm. player that was in the World Cup started. Tommy Asu, I think, is a a shining example of that, and he was able to uh, really kind of just take off where he or take where he left off at. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this goal goal that Martinelli got, um, I think you could certainly look at the the f- play from Fans- Fabianski and, and say, yeah, he probably could have done more with that. But at the same time, Martinelli scoring with his weak foot in the box, oh. like I, I just he's you you can start to see like those sorts of plays coming together more regularly for him. Mm-hmm. Where he's able to cut in from that that winger position. He's able to put. Uh, defenders on their heels and really dribble dribble his way into dangerous areas and he, he's playing in a very unpredictable way I you don't know if he's going to put in that cross or shoot and mm-hmm. um, he's getting himself into such good positions even if he does shoot there's uh, three or four other players that are there for the rebound so I feel like he's really dialed in that his role on that wing and uh, for all the people that say he could play that that striker position i think he still is very well suited to playing down down that line and providing width and um cutting in and uh i felt like that 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 his side was a little was struggling a little bit uh at the early parts of the game and one of the things that that jumped out at me was that um what i'm trying to recall if this changed in the second half but what tyranny has been doing now more since Sinchenko came in is playing that inverted left winger or excuse me, left back position so that he's playing more inside than even Gabriel. I mean, mm-hmm. he's very central. Um, and what this game was or what this team was struggling with in the early part of the game was just too much congestion, too much trying to go down the middle, uh, struggled to have the whip and, and the space to make things work. And I do think, when Tierney is really clicking is when he's coming and uh, when he's hugging that, that uh, touchline and, and making sure that there is that, that space for Martinelli to work his way into um, it. it, it he t- even though he's trying to do the, the, the stuff that Zinchenko does, he just, he's a different player. And I know that sometimes the, the formations and the tactics necessitate a player being in those positions, but I, there was moments where I was like, man, I wish Tierney was just bombing down that side and allowing uh, allowing Martinelli to play a little more inside so that he doesn't have to do as much work to get into those positions. And for some reason, it came out in the second half and and something was just clicking a little bit better. So maybe there's a, a bit of a, a tactical change that Tierney made to to make that work. Um, but it, it was, it, I, I think Martinelli is, is dependent on having a good... Uh, partner down that side and whether that's in Chenko or tyranny um he 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 can't do it all himself even though he will try yeah. but if he can uh get the space and time that he needs he he can be very dangerous well i mean you you, you look at that goal and what happened was exactly what you're describing of tyranny moving into the center tyranny was very central when he played that pass to martinelli he was you know in the kind of center third of the box i would say and mm-hmm. he kind of play, plays a pass out to to Marnelli. And it was kind of funny because you look at it, Tierney's kind of shouting for the ball back to him. It was kind of like <laughs> he was thinking it was going to be a give and go type of thing. 
and Martinelli just you know takes that shot and, and I, I don't think anyone was expecting Martinelli to make that shot or take that shot. I think that's po- mm-hmm. possibly why uh, uh, Fabianski gets beat at the post is because I don't think he was thinking that Martinelli is going to try and squeeze that in. He thinks probably push it back to the center, and that's you know where Martinelli does uh, excel. And you, you in interviews in how he talks about how he sees himself, Martinelli does see himself as a wide player. That's his preferred mm-hmm. position. That's what he likes to do. And I, you know, putting him in a striker would be a, a stopgap. I don't think it would be the the ideal thing to do, in in my opinion. When I've advocated for me him being playing striker, it's not because I think he'd be better there or even necessarily the team would be better in an ideal setup, but just that you need someone there. Yeah. But I, I think in an ideal setup, uh, he's doing exactly what he did this game and has been doing all year for us. Yeah, and he's he's never one to shy away from the work. Like I, he's like I said, he would take on two, three, four guys if he felt that's what needed to happen, and doesn't seem to play with any fear there. And that that's, I think that's what Arteta is really asking him to do is is play fearlessly and put put teams um, put teams on notice early on and and try to take shots and make them play honestly because you can't really cheat with a player like Martinelli. He will, he will take advantage of, of the space that you're giving him. And if, it, if it's not space that you're giving him, you're giving it to some, somebody else. And that's why we've seen uh, Xhaka pop up and, and be effective in that, in those same channels down that side. Uh, you know, it's, it's really that thoughtless effort where you're just, you, you're either doing the hard work yourself and creating the space for yourself or you're creating the space for someone else. And when, when the team's working for it, for each other like that, it really just clicks and, and comes together uh, so much more effectively than when you have somebody like Martinelli, who's who, who could easily just always be going for goal himself, but that un- unpredictability and, and the possibility that somebody else is going to step into that space um, and score it makes it very challenging for, for teams to adjust to that. So it is, it is nice to have several players who have that ability to um, scare teams and, and make them play differently. And I think that's the, the point we've gotten to now is that, that teams are having to adjust and that it is even when they do, it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, I think the, this is kind of the strength of Arsenal right now is, is because as we mentioned, we don't have a focal point. It's really mm-hmm. hard for teams to figure out what to do tactically. And you, I think one of the big reasons, too, is someone we haven't mentioned that I really want to give a mention to, which is Odegaard. Odegaard mm-hmm. had an amazing game. And you see him there in the midfield. I mean, I almost want to say Modric-esque. Very, just running the team, pulling the strings, making those passes, making those shots turned into passes. <laughs> like, uh, uh, <laughs> just really kind of being that orchestrator that we, uh, you know, Uzul kind of played some of those roles that, you know, it's a, a player we haven't had in a minute and I've really enjoyed his play. And it's it, it's nice to see that we were correct in uh, when we signed him, that he he's a major signing. And I think when we look back and when the, 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 the rest of the world starts looking back at this Arsenal team and how, did, how were they able to pull even what they're doing now off it's signing Odegaard was such a huge piece in that. Absolutely. Um, 
yeah, and and I hope they continue to find those types of players. I mean, he he may be an anomaly because he was just so under undervalued, underappreciated, and and kind of behind in his career because he went to Real Madrid so early and 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 wasn't able to really develop to the player that everybody thought he could be. And now that he's given been given the opportunity, he he's shining. And I, as a recruitment strategy to look for those sorts of not necessarily recommend reclamation projects, but um, just real opportunity signings, looking for players that are uh, kind of below where they should be and, and finding more space for them to, to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think as other young players are looking at Arsenal, I think it's a great selling point to say, Hey, we're going to give you those, those minutes and we're going to give you players to work with that are on your level. And, and I think it, it, is not just the Odegaard show. He doesn't. He doesn't look as good without the team around him, um, and and I don't think he he's the type of player that's going to be able to take a game on his shoulders necessarily. He's he's going to work hard. He's going to pull the strings, but he can't do it all himself. He's definitely somebody who's selfless, selfless, and leads by example. But you cannot do any of those things without a great cast of 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 characters around you. Yeah, and it's also the the story of the last two years, which we were able because of the patience of our board of our fan base of everybody connected to the team to allow these players to develop into their roles you know like when you saw Odegaard come in and you could see flashes of brilliance but he didn't like hit the ground running it was like oh my god he's a superstar Uh it was more you you saw the potential and you know he we were able to give him time to like bed into this team and bed into his role yeah and and he's certainly gotten better here year over year like like you said we've seen flashes of it but the consistency he's shown this season just to constantly find ways to get assists to even when he's not getting uh goals or anything like that he is uh he's having an effect on the game in important ways that maybe don't don't show up on the stat sheet but he he just continues to work hard throughout the game and it creates things for for other people around him and that's um if we could get two or three more players on that level then we'd be in really good shape exactly uh anything else you want to say about this game before we move on i like winning that's a (laughs) i like winning. (laughs) i like being still top of the table which uh just uh brings a smile it's never gonna get old i'm as I said, I'm not counting on this necessarily happening till the end of the season, but any day we're top of the table, I'm, I'm still going to be happy. Yeah, and it really does, uh, to be at the top of the table, to continue to be in the ascendancy, it takes a lot of the pressure off of trying to find perfect solutions in the transfer window. And I am, I am optimistic that whatever we do, it's going to be... Um, it's just going to raise the level. Like uh, That's all we can hope for right now is just try to... Get get bodies in there that are going to push the push the people that we have already, and also just give us more options. But when you can lose a player like Jesus and continue to play like we did, it, it just it, it changes the equation so much. And I'm sure that um, the board and and the recruitment team are are looking at things and saying, "Hey, it's not it's not all that bad. We still need to fill a couple spots, but we're in a very good position to to just make this team better." And that and whether that's a short-term goal of just making champions league or that long-term goal of being perpetually in this position where you're, you're fighting for the top of the league and fighting for, um, bigger things. 
it, it makes it so much easier when you're kind of ahead of schedule like they are right now. And it, it, we have to remember this is still kind of rebuild. I mean, it, nobody was expecting to be in this position this season. And so um, to be to be top of the league and and feeling so good about this team ahead of ahead of ahead of schedule is just uh it's a delight. I, I can't, I, I can't even really believe it sometimes. Like it, it, it doesn't feel real. And you, you really do have to uh, think that this is going to help the January transfer window being top of the league and playing the way we are means we are a very attractive place for someone to go. I, I, I can't think of another team that just on, when you look at it from the outside, you're like, I want to be there. It was, it was, it's like Liverpool was about uh, two years ago where, you know, players would just love to be on that team because they, they're looking at it and going, this looks like a fun place to be and it looks like it's going places. There, There's a real project here that yeah. we can join and be a part of and win things and, and, and go forward, you know? Yeah, when you look at it like one of those anomaly type years where uh, Leicester won, you know, it, it is, it's like hard to buy into a long-term project. I think everybody's looked at that and was like, Okay, this is weird. <laughs> Are they going to be able to build on this? And it certainly helps. I mean, their their recruitment for a few seasons after that was was decent. They had good players coming through there. But I I look at the trend the trend line of Arsenal over the last three years, and to it, it it's going up. I mean, it's going in the right direction. It's not like we've I mean, if you look at t- where we were finishing at eighth place, and then to suddenly be first is it is kind of anomalous but um when you look at the underlying stats when you look at the growth of the players and you look at the um consistencies that there are that are there um i i do think from a, a player looking from the outside in that those those things trend are trending in the right direction for long-term growth long-term stability and so it doesn't necessarily mean we have to win the league this year I think just the fact that we are in that role or in that position um, just says so much about the project and that is going in the right direction and that it's something to either jump in now and, and get the, the short-term gains, gains or, you know, hit your, hit your wagon to this and, and for the long haul because there's going to be more good things coming down the road. Yeah, definitely. And as I said, it'll, it, it'll help the uh, transfer window. But uh, before the transfer window, we do have a, a pesky one other game to go before this January. Uh, it's a, a, a way at Brighton. What are, what are your thoughts on the game going in? Uh, nobody, nobody in this league is is easy. I I, I look at, at Brighton as so, a, a team that you can't uh, underestimate. They they will come out come out and play hard. Um, they. They've already knocked us out of the EFL <laughs> Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's neither here nor there when it comes to the Premier League. But um, they found they found a way to beat Chelsea already this season. Um, they've they're 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 going to come out and and be a challenge, and especially away from home. This is not a game we should take lightly. And uh, if if we go out and play the same way that we played. Uh, in this last game, I think we should be able to weather the storm and, and get a result, but I don't think it's, it's one that anybody should, uh, overlook or, you know, because Newcastle is on the other, other side of that. And I think a lot of people have looked at that as like the real, the real challenging game coming up, but I think to, to let down and, and 
not not look at Brighton as a as a real challenge would be a, a foolish endeavor. And and we've seen that these sorts of games be big challenges for Arsenal in the past, like a a mid table team that's that's uh, away from home can can offer some some big uh, difficulties for us. Yeah, and I mean Brighton, I think is definitely a, a more stern challenge than West Ham was i think brighton's a, a, mm-hmm. a better team and brighton isn't i really have a soft spot for brighton in a lot of ways because they they really do build uh, or a team that built a system and it kind of doesn't matter in some ways who's coaching it or who's who, who these players are they've really built a system at first uh, approach they that being said they are going through a transition of recently or fairly recently losing a coach and a, a very mm-hmm. talismanic coach in potter and uh so We'll see how that that uh, really uh, has affected the team. If that that structure is in place is enough to to hold them through, I, as I say, it's going to be a tough game. I it's they 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 are a handy team. It's a, a a game you know we should be expecting to get points out of at this point in in our confidence, but it's it's not a game that we should, as you said, overlook. So. Uh, you know, any, any game in the Premier League is going to be tough, and this is no exception. I think uh, we'll really need to be on our best to 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 get points out of this game. Yeah, and I don't see I don't see the the team needing to change much uh, through the the next game, uh, next couple games. I think it's it, you might see slight rotation, um, maybe just trying to get some some minutes under the belt of a player like uh, Tommy Asu or something like that, but. Uh, for the most part, the the starting lineup we had will probably be the starting lineup we see again for the next couple games. Um, you don't think Zinchenko uh, gets a start? I I don't know how quickly they will bring him back into the starting lineup. Um, he he potentially could. Um, I just feel like every time he comes out, I'm waiting for the the <laughs> report that he's tweaked something or he's <laughs> not quite a hundred percent yet. Um, but yeah, I think. The team is better when Zinchenko's playing, and so if, as soon as they can get him in the lineup, I think he would he will be in there. Um, so if he, if he can get in on Saturday, I would I would wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because I mean we're playing a bunch of games quick and fast, so I there you have to expect some sort of rotation in there. These players can't play, you know, all those players can't play all three games in a row like that. So I am expecting some sort of rotation be it this game or the next game and you know seeing some players come in it wouldn't surprise me to see an El Nenny make a start at some point it wouldn't surprise me I don't know to uh, to see Zinchenko uh, hopefully Tommy Asu gets some time uh, throwing in some of these uh, these other players just because we need need to rotate um, yeah and they they need minutes as well just to make sure we if we have to use them they have they're close to in form as possible. Um, the other, the other uh, player I'd like to see a little bit more of is Vieira. Just get his his feet under him after kind of getting that uh, midseason or the, that midseason preseason to finally get himself up to the level that <laughs> uh, he should have been at at the beginning of the year. Uh, hopefully, now he he feels like he can be at his best and and gets the minutes to reflect that. Yeah, about the only position I can see not rotating through these three games is striker, just because we have no other options. <laughs> right. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can see Nketiah getting a, a a good run of games, which people are uh, clamoring for. So, 
yes, I think he'll he'll benefit from being getting consistent minutes for sure. Um, of course, on the other side of that is Tuesday's uh, match against Newcastle, and I think this is the one that people are definitely going to have their eye on because Newcastle has, uh, I wouldn't say quietly, but they, they have they've made themselves a presence in the top. Um, in in the top of the standings now, just uh, what are they seven? Still seven points behind um, Arsenal at the moment, but sitting nicely in third place and and looking as dangerous as ever. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about uh, projects that are uh, ahead of schedule. I would say Newcastle is definitely ahead of schedule on their project. That they the idea is to make Newcastle the new Man City. And they have mm-hmm. the money backing them, but they haven't really really spent the money yet. And so they're relying on a lot of players that were still part of that older Newcastle team. You know, uh, uh, Shelby, John Joe Shelby is still kicking about in their their lineup. Uh, <laughs> got a couple other players, but they have some players that are really going on. I know a bit, bit about them because my really good friend is a Newcastle fan. So we spend a lot mm-hmm. of time talking about Newcastle. And uh, Almiron is on a, a burner right now. Al- Almiron looks the real deal. Looks like what he was showing over at a Atlanta united and so we there there are a lot of players on that team that you have to be worried about their uh brazilian midfielder that i'm completely uh joel jolinton not jolinton jolinton's also played to be a afraid of uh what's his name uh Girmesh. he's also a, a great player that they have in the midfield that can really take over a midfield so it's going to be a hard fought battle in the midfield against newcastle i think it's going to be there's, there's a lot of uh dangerous players and it's it that it, it is going to be a real test uh i i don't think this is a flash in the pan newcastle team i think this is a team building to be atop the league and uh it could be a clash of kind of two teams that will be fighting for these positions in the next couple of years i think they're they're both on their trajectory of being trying to fight for the, the these champions league positions yeah um joe willick revenge game Mm. Uh, perhaps uh, Isak makes an appearance. Oh, I would love. Uh, you, you know my feelings about Isak, but uh, from what <laughs> from what I've been hearing, Isak has uh, got injured in the uh, Swedish camp in mm. the internationals, which uh, is funny that they were Sweden was even playing games during this time. Yeah, but right. but uh, but yeah, so apparently he got a, took a little knock, so we probably won't see him. He hasn't been really lighting it on fire for Newcastle yet, injury mm. and just finding his way into the team. So hopefully, but the, the Willick revenge story probably is, I, I can see Willick scoring a goal against us just because that's the narrative that always happens. <laughs> it seems that way. Well, I, both of these games are, are looking to be um, decent matches. I'm, I'm pretty excited for both. It's just exciting to watch Arsenal play at all. Yeah. I, I, every, every game is, is, has the potential to be a cracker. So I'm excited about it. You know what I, I'm going to say is I didn't realize how much I missed Arsenal during the world uh-huh. cup until I watched the game and I was like, Oh yeah. Like, cause the world cup was fun and you know, Sweden not being in it. I didn't have a, a, a huge dog in the fight and, and it was just, it was fun for the world cup. I was doing a lot of work during the world cup, but, uh, going and watching our I'm like, Oh, like I, I forget that I'm very much club over country and I'm very much club uh-huh. soccer over international soccer. And it was, it was just so nice to, 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 to have that back. So, I'm very grateful for them being back. Yeah, and it it, it the the 
fluidity and chemistry is just there and it's not something you can necessarily there's very few teams at the international level that can play like that so it's a different different um aspect of the sport that you know when you're talking about club versus international it is very different and i'm excited to just it feels like the the stakes are higher now you know we're talking about the second half of the season and there isn't this uh, you know, I think everybody was like, "Oh, what's going? What's the effect of the World Cup going to be? Um, how is it going to affect Arsenal?" I'd say, from a one-game sample, not much. Yeah. I mean, like outside of Jesus, I think this team looks ready to continue the fight, and that's a, that's the exciting part. Is like it might not be that bad, and we might actually have a chance at at, at the very least being in the running for the the, um, the top of the league. So it's. Uh, it's there's everything to be excited about right now. I mean, I, I am so worried about uh, injuries. I think even though we only had one major injury from the World Cup, that the 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 effects of playing so many games in constrained times for a lot of these players uh, may show up going on in the next come in the coming months. So we'll, we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, at least there's the potential if they can bring in a couple signings to kind of give relief to. Uh, some of our other players who who play a lot, I, I would that would be um, something I hope that they try to address is just getting the depth to not put so much weight on Martinelli or Saka. You know these players that would that would would carry us, but we really could if, if we could find some quality players to give give them some breaks. That would be nice. It would be nice because I I would say our our first uh, tier team is as good as almost any in the world. But it, we have a very thin skin and, and a, mm-hmm. a couple key injuries, and we already have seen one key injury, a couple more, and it really just takes us out of contention. Yeah, definitely. All right, um, we I think that's gonna be about all for us this week. I will say, if you want to send in questions for our episode next week, we'll we'll talk about those Brighton and Newcastle games. Uh, get those questions ready while you're watching the games. And if you if you can't hold on to them until next week, there's a couple places you can drop them so that you can uh, get them onto our radar sooner than later. Uh, one of those is Twitter. Uh, we are at W of N London. Uh, email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can go to anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. And of course, you can join us on our Discord. I was happy to see everybody returning to the Discord uh, for our game day chats uh we'd love to have you join us as well so find the link to that in our show notes um if you haven't done so already review and subscribe wherever you're picking up this podcast right now and check out bobcat their album no Co- no course to follow and much more can be found on their website uh bobc.at uh they do our theme song and we appreciate them for that and uh think that's it so as always see you at the next gun show